You may be seated. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I sense, I sense God working. Amen. Zechariah tells us, the prophet Zechariah, do not despise the day of small beginnings. And sometimes you just have to see a little something by faith. A little something that's going to become a big something. And if we don't acknowledge that, if we fail to see that, we can miss out on what God is doing. That's why God said, don't, don't take lightly, don't despise, don't overlook the beginning of small things. Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn to the person next to you and let them know you're smiling under your mask. Oh, it was a cold one today. But we thank God for the warmth of God's presence in this place today. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Revelation chapter 2? Revelation chapter 2. Um, we are in the beginning of a walkthrough of the book of Revelation. And we're looking at the seven churches that Jesus Christ himself spoke to and gave personalized messages to. Uh, there are, these are seven literal churches in the first century. They are in a circuitous route in Asia. Churches. Last week we looked at the church at Ephesus. This week we're going to look at the church at Smyrna. And these seven churches of the first century, they represent the totality of Christ's churches scattered across the world and over time. Their problems, their challenges are symptomatic of those confronting churches in all places and all times. What am I trying to say? That these messages were not just to these seven churches in first century Asia Minor, but they are messages to us today. They are relevant, they are closely connected and appropriate for us today. These messages were to real churches who were in a real world and they were trying to live for Jesus in, in less than ideal circumstances. Very similar to us today. Each of the seven churches follow a similar pattern. They first reveal Jesus' character, who he is, as he addresses each church. Then Jesus will commend them for the good that is going on in their midst, except Laodicea. We'll get to that. Jesus corrects them, um, or helping them to get to set things right, uh, but he doesn't have to correct this church that we're going to look at this morning, Smyrna and also the church, on how to get it right. And then he challenges them. He gives a promise to every church, to him who overcomes. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11, if you're there, say amen. amen. I want to read verses 8 to 11, Revelation chapter 2. And to the angel... Of the church in Smyrna, right? These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. 
And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Jesus Christ knows intimately the condition, the works, the challenges of the churches and the reality of their commitment, their loyalty, or their disloyalty to him in despite of outward appearances. Jesus is noted in chapter 1 as holding the seven stars in his right hand and as walking amongst the seven golden lampstands. We said last week the seven stars were the, the angels or the human messengers of each church, probably a pastor or an elder. Um, I know some of you might think of me by other things than an angel or a star, uh, but nonetheless the scriptures uh, use those, that terminology. But when it says uh, angels, uh, an angel could be a, a, an angelic representation from God in the, in the understanding of we know, what we normally know of an angel, but it could also be a human messenger. In this context, it is the human messenger, the, the leader, the elder, the pastor that God, Jesus gives the message to and he was to give that message to the church. But it's also, Jesus is also portrayed in Revelation chapter 1 verse 20 as the one walking among the seven golden lampstands. That was symbolic, that represented each of the churches. Do you realize today that Jesus Christ himself is still walking amongst the churches? He is walking amongst our church. Wouldn't you love to know how Jesus sees our church? How it really is. Not how we think it is, how we'd like it to be portrayed. You know, in our world, in our world, we tend to judge things by a different standard than God does. We measure, we measure success Many times, in outward ways, when God looks below, God looks under the hood. We tend to measure, even when it comes to a church, we tend to measure, measure things by noses, nickels, noses and nickels. <laughs> what do I mean by that? We count people and uh, we count how much comes in. And we, we, know, we, we judge things by outwardly. How, how big is the church? How big are their buildings? What is their budget? When you look at all of these churches, the seven churches, Jesus never mentions how big the church was. He never mentions how big the campus was. He does not mention any of those things. Am I saying they're not important? Yes, they are important in a measure, in a, in a, in a, in a sense, but not the, the kind of weight we put upon it. Jesus never mentions your church is 1,000, 500 people. 
wow, your church has a big budget. Wow, your church has, has a beautiful facility. They have the smoke and the lights and the mirrors. None of that. See, we judge things differently. We tend to look on the outward. God looks below. God looks in the, at the heart. He looks at the love, the faithfulness, the commitment. He looks at the obedience, the passion for him. You see, last week we looked at the church at Ephesus. And by all outward means of assessment, by all outward circumstances, this church was, was almost perfect. Matter of fact, my title was the almost perfect church. But all outward sense or all outward metrics of judgment, you would say this church is the place where I want to be. This is the church I want to go to. But you see, Jesus saw things a little different. He said to them, you do have a lot going on, but you know what? You've left your first love. And Jesus said, you need to repent. He didn't, he didn't look at it lightly. He didn't just kind of gloss over it and say, well, we know all, everybody, you know, no one's perfect and everyone has their faults and everyone has their issues and, you know, I'm, we're better than the other church. No, none of that. He said, repent unless I come and I remove the, the lampstand. I remove that, that brightness, that glory, that anointing. Jesus was very serious about this. So last week, Ephesus be, would be the church everyone was flocking to. Church was probably numbering in thousands. Everybody wanted. It was a happening place. This week, Smyrna, I've entitled it the Suffering Church. Amen. Praise the Lord. All of you get very excited about this topic. If Ephesus was the church everyone wanted to go to, Smyrna was the church nobody wanted to go to. So let's take a look at this a little bit further. Let's learn from. Let's be instructed. Let's Let's all, as a church and individually, because understand, we are part of the church. We are the church. It's not my church. It's not the eldest church, the pastor's church. It's our church. It's his church. And what we have to understand is we want to have not man's approval, but God's approval on our church. Amen, isn't that true? Are you, are you getting it? If you're not, you're missing it. And if you don't say amen, I've got to keep saying it until you get it. You see, Jesus had to deal with a religious crowd, a religious group of people in the New Testament called the Pharisees. And these were religious leaders, but you know what? They were missing it by a mile, by a hundred miles. And you know what Jesus said about them? He said they love the praise of man rather than the praise of God. Think about that. Religious leaders, and could we fall into that? Yes, we can. We can get to the point where we're trying to please and impress man and forget that we're called to pre please God and seek his approval. That's the critical thing. What do we live for as a church? 
What do we live for as Christians? The praise of God or the praise of man? I tell you, that's very revealing and very telling when you, when you honestly assess that. So let's look into this message. Let's look into the church at Smyrna again. This is in uh, uh, modern-day Turkey, and it is in a strategic trade route. This is a place where it was on the coast. It had a lot of, a lot of trade, a lot of activity. It was a very uh, prominent city. But Jesus in verse 8 says, to the angel of the church at Smyrna, write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Why is that important? If you look in chapter 1, again, every description of Jesus that we see in, uh, in, in the messages to the seven churches come from chapter 1. And so Jesus will take a, a description of his character a revelation of who he is, and he will use it for the church specifically as it relates to what they're going through. So Jesus said, I was dead, but now I'm alive. Why does he say that to Smyrna? Because people were dying for their faith. People were being persecuted and actually dying a martyr's death because of their faith. So Jesus goes to them and says, listen, I was dead, but now I'm alive. He was saying to them, death does not have power over you as a Christian, as a believer. I want to talk to you just uh, uh, three R's. Number one, the relevance. Jesus is relevant to your life. Jesus is relevant to where you live. That means he's closely connected. That means who he is is appropriate for what you're going through. Jesus' representation of himself to the church of Smyrna was letting him know, them know, where I'm the first and I'm the last. I was dead and now I'm alive. Jesus will tailor his self-revelation to who he's talking to. A church that would suffer physically. They would suffer martyrdom. Dying for their faith. Thrown into prison. They would be excluded from normal life because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus let them know, I was dead, I went through it, and now I'm alive. The relevance of the message of the gospel is that for every man, woman, boy, and girl, no matter what culture, no matter what world, no matter what you're going through, Jesus has a revelation of his character that will fit your need. Jesus is relevant. You know, years ago, when, when Apple was just beginning to become popular, some young people don't even know what life was like before Apple. But there was a life, there was a world. But do you remember the commercial that they would have? This will date some of you. It's not that old. But do you remember that when they would advertise the Apple phone, they would advertise the app store. And they would say, there is an app for that. In other words, no matter what your need was for your iPhone, no matter whether it was for business, for sports, for anything, and, 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 and you could, your imagination can go wild because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of apps. And, and the advertisement would say, there's an app for that. No matter what it is, no matter what it was, 
There's an app. I want you to understand something this morning. That God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, whatever you are going through, whatever we are going through as a church, there is a character revelation for that. There is an app. There is a revelation. There is a name for whatever you're going through. This morning, if you're financially burdened, there's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. If you're fearful and afraid, there's Jehovah Shema, the Lord is present. If you're struggling with sin, you're struggling with a bad habit, you're struggling with evil, there is Jehovah Sid Canoe, which means the Lord, my righteousness. If you're, you're dealing with sickness and disease, there's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. I want you to understand that Jesus is the miracle of the ages. He's the superlative of everything good that you can choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's the almighty guide who got, mighty God who guides and keeps all his people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I'm talking about the Jesus. I'm talking about the Jesus who holds the seven stars in his hand. And he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Come on, give him praise this morning. Talking about the relevancy of Jesus. But I want to also talk, number two, about the reality of life. Look at verse 9. I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty. I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of these things you are about to suffer. Jesus is aware of what we are going through. I said Jesus is intimately aware of every fear that you have, any shame that you're carrying, any burden, any confusion, any suffering. Jesus said, I know. That word know is not a casual acquaintance. That word signifies intimate knowledge. Jesus knows what you are going through. He is so close to us. That's why in, in Revelation it tells us that he holds the seven stars in his hand. Think about that this morning. He walks among the golden lampstands. means he's, he's moving in and out and about the churches. That tells me that God is concerned what goes on in his church. We live in a day and age where people have got too concerned what's going on in the White House and forgot that God's more concerned what's going on in his house. Oh, that's the truth. It didn't say he's walking among the political leaders and the power brokers in, in, in Washington or Moscow or China or Japan. No, it says he's walking in the midst of the church. 
He's concerned with his church. Why? Because the church is the change agent in the world par none. None other has the power and the influence. None other has the promise of Jesus himself. Kingdoms will come and go. The Roman Empire came and went. Babylon came and went. Other nations will come and go, but Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said, I know. Hallelujah. Psalm 139. What does he know? Psalm 139. Verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. He even knows when you want to rise up and you can't. Or you wish you can lay down and you sleep and you can't. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with some of my ways. Just want to make sure you're reading the right Bible this morning. You are acquainted with all of my ways, for there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Wow. Talking about intimate, total, complete knowledge. You know, the Bible says we know in part and we prophesy in part. But the Lord sees and knows it all without having to process it, think it, figure it out. He knows it instantaneously, simultaneously. He knows it all. He understands when you're tempted, when you're falsely accused, when you're ridiculed, when you're misunderstood. Because he went through it. He was whipped. He was crowned with thorns. He was nailed to a cross. He shed his life's blood. He can sympathize with us because he went through it. What did Jesus know about the church at Smyrna? Jesus said, I know your tribulation. That word tribulation is not just tribulation in the sense that we think. Oh, I'm going through such tribulation. You know, my laundry, I, I took it to the laundry, you know, and it came out holes in it. Or they didn't do a good job. Or, you know, they didn't give me the right coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, what tribulation I'm going through. Somebody didn't say hi to me in church. Oh, I'm suffering. Somebody took my seat in church. Someone took my parking space in church. No, no, no. Jesus said, I know your tribulation. Please hear me. We're talking about Smyrna, a real church in first century times. That Jesus said, I know your tribulation. This tribulation was severe. This was imprisonment. This was, this was even unto death. Solely for the faith that they held in Jesus Christ. You see, Domitian was the Roman emperor during this period of time from around 81 AD to around 96 AD. In, Roman, uh, in the emperor Domitian, part of, part of the, the, the Roman Empire was the worship of the emperor. And this wasn't because people thought he was a god, although they did say Lord and God, but it was more of a political alignment. 
It was more pledging your allegiance to the Roman Empire. This was a way they would offer incense and they would have to bow and say, Caesar is Lord and God. And this was a way to keep the nation and the people in line or the, or the empire. So this was your pledge of allegiance to the Roman Empire. But for the Christian, we have no God, we have no Lord, but Jesus. We bow to no man. We offer our allegiance and our, and our worship to no one but Jesus Christ. And so for the church in that culture, in that first century, what was happening now, once you failed to do that, you were considered an outcast. You would lose your standing in the community. You would not be able to be a part of the merchant's guild. And, and, and you couldn't set up your, your little table and sell your wares because you didn't bow your knee to the government. So you would lose your job. You would be persecuted and even to the point of being thrown into prison. And see, prison back in the first century was not like prison today, first of all. You didn't get three squares, TV, rec room, education, and, you know, it was a rat-infested hole with putrid water running through, sewage running through it, and the only food you'd get was scraps, and, 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 and prison back then in, in Rome, for the Roman Empire in the first century, was not a part of your sentence. It was, you were just there waiting to be condemned to death. So you didn't have a chance of parole. Parole? Commute your sentence. No such thing. So Jesus is saying, I know your tribulation. I know also the slander. See, they were being falsely accused. And there was what was called the synagogue of Satan. Now, what was that? Um, in, in my studies, the synagogue of Satan would have been Jewish believers who were also heaping more trouble upon the Christians. See, the Jewish community was protected in the Roman Empire, and not, they didn't have to be a part of that worship, but, but, but they, they also began to persecute the church and began to ridicule them and began to say things about them. And Jesus said, they say they are Jews, but they're not true Jews, and they're the synagogue of Satan. Now understand, this isn't every Jewish synagogue. This isn't anti-Semitism. This was just in the first century. That synagogue was used and was functioning as a messenger of Satan. Do you remember, Peter, when, when Jesus was talking about his coming and impending crucifixion? Peter says, far be it from you, master. That'll never happen to you. What did Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan, for you desire the things of man and not the things of God. And so, so Peter was, was being used by the devil and was an instrument, a messenger of Satan, and Jesus rebuked him. So that would be similar in this context. So, so they were being slandered. And then look what it says, I know your poverty. Now, please understand, and I don't mean any disrespect to anyone here today, but you might think you're poor. You don't know this kind of poverty. Maybe, maybe in other countries at other times, but in this country, this word poverty was not the normal word used for poverty, but it was abject, total poverty. Nada. Nothing. He says, you, you, I know your poverty. They literally did not have enough or just barely enough to get by. They were dirt poor. I don't know where the saying came from, but they were poor, as poor as Job's, Job's turkey. I guess none of you heard that one. Maybe this online. 
Because of their faith, listen to me, I want you to understand this. They were not poor because they were lazy. They were not poor because they were not working. They were poor because of their faith in Christ, excluded from the, the, the squeezed out of the marketplace, losing their jobs, having their goods confiscated. They lost it all for Christ. I don't know about you, but this embarrasses me. What do I mean by that? I mean, when I look at what they went through, the poverty, the price they paid for their faith in Jesus Christ, it should, it should cause us to blush. They lost it all for following Jesus. And we think we give up stuff. We think we make sacrifices. A tithe. Give to God. Serve in the ministry. You mean you want me to come a few minutes early? I like to come late. It's getting quiet in here, but that's good. Because it's good. But look what Jesus said. I know your poverty, but you're rich. I know your poverty. You're, 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 you're dirt poor. You have nothing, but you really are rich. Remember in the Gospel of Luke, there was one man that came into close proximity of Jesus and he lift up at his, lifted up his voice and he had a he had something to say to Jesus, but he said to Jesus, Lord, tell my brother to split my inheritance. Now, first of all, lesson to, to self. Note to self, if you come close to Jesus and you have a question to ask, that's a stupid question. Are you kidding me? You have Jesus and you're asking him, Lord, tell my brother to divide my inheritance. That's stupid. Of all the stupid questions you could ask Jesus, that's on the top ten. You've got the Son of God. Ask a, a deep philosophical question. Ask a question that really matters. You're worried about your inheritance? Jesus said, a man's life does not... First of all, he says, who made, a, who made me a judge and ruler over you? He said, he said, you know what he said to him? He says, man's life does not consist in the things which he has. And then Jesus went on to tell a story, a parable. He said, there was a man who his business began to prosper, and so he built bigger bonds. He, he began to acquire more goods, and he, and he built bigger bonds. And, and he said to himself, soul, you're doing pretty good. Your, your, 50, your 401k is doing good. Your finance, your job, your money, it's flowing in. You're doing real well. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. And a voice came from heaven, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. Then what would all this mean? Jesus said, so is he who is not rich towards God. Jesus said, I know your poverty, but you are rich. I know your poverty. I know you have nothing in the worlds, in the eyes of the world, in your own eyes, but really you're rich. Do you know out of the seven churches, Smyrna and possibly, well, actually Philadelphia also, but, but the church of Smyrna is the only church that there is nothing negative Jesus has to say. And many commentators, 
Many scholars believe it's because of the intense persecution that they were facing that that persecution had a purifying effect and influence on the church. And I believe that's true, even in our day. And we're going to see in the church of Laodicea that when you're increased with goods, when you have a lot, it's easy to get comfortable, complacent, spiritually flabby, spiritually smug, and, and you lose out. You know, he who is not rich towards God. I want to ask you this morning, in our affluent society and, and our plentiful culture, commercial is appealing to your to create a dissatisfaction within you of what you have. Your car is nice until you see the latest model. Your flat screen TV is very nice until you see now they got 87 inches. Remember when we first got the flat screen TV, it was like 21 inches or 29 Wow, look at this flat screen TV. Now it's like you, you need binoculars to look at it. Now 47 inches, 59 inches, 65. It's never enough. It's never enough. And it's a culture that, that feeds into it. But this church at Smyrna, it was a suffering church. But Jesus says, you're rich. And my question to you and to me today, do we want the appraisal of, uh, the praise of man or the praise of God? Do we want people to think, wow, they got it all going on? Or are we more concerned with what on the inside? God, are you pleased with my heart? Even as a church, God help us. We're living in a culture where it's all about putting people in the seats and, and bringing in bucks and, and being impressive and having so-called famous people come into your churches and being, the, and being, being praised by everybody. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a lot of people and, 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 and whoever, whatever, but, but at the end of the day, we want to have the praise of Almighty God, the, the pleasure of God. And so as I close, what was the response? We looked at the relevancy. We looked at the reality. What was the response? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? He says, do not fear. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Notice Jesus mentions the second death. Why? Because they were facing the first death. See, if you're born 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 once, you'll die twice. If you're born again, you'll die once. Let me interpret that. If you are just born physically and never born again, you will die physically and you'll also face the second death. And that's separation from God for all of eternity. But if you're born again, you might die physically if Jesus doesn't come back, but you won't die spiritually. Jesus was saying, listen, you're going to suffer. Some of you are going to die. You are going to, you are going to suffer for your faith. You're going to be martyred. But you know what? You will not face the second death if you overcome. You know, Jesus said, don't fear him who can kill the body, but fear rather him who after the body is killed, he can cast the soul in hell. See, we, we fear COVID more than we fear Christ. We fear the things in this world, we fear people, we fear death, we fear COVID, we fear so many things. We should fear and reverence and honor Christ the same way, rather a greater way. 
Turn with me to, and I'm almost done, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 66. Any true preacher not only preaches to the congregation, he preaches to his own soul. Amen? Amen. Isaiah 66. Look what the word of God tells us. Let me read verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hand has made and all these things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. That should get your attention right there. What does God look at? What does God value? What is God concerned with? On this will I look, God says, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Who trembles at my word. Who fears me. Fears my word. Honors me. Reverences me. I want you to turn over to Exodus. And this jumped out at me in my, my Bible reading this week. Oh, praise the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying this message. This is a good message, Pastor. Amen, Pastor. Exodus 9, verse 20. This was the, the, one of the plagues in Egypt, the plague, of fear, uh, the plague of hail that was coming on the, the land. God says you need to run, protect yourself because the plague's come and he who, who believes and honors my word will be protected. But look what it says in verse 20, uh, verse 20. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. He who feared the word of the Lord. In other words, they had reverence. They trembled. They said, wow, God is saying this? Is this what God is saying? I need to obey it. I need to listen to it. I need to apply myself. God, help us. Even in our churches where people don't tremble at the word of God anymore. People will be on their phones, will be distracted, come and go, and not care about what God has to say. Are you kidding me? What does the word of God says? He who feared the word of the Lord. What, what does it mean to fear the word of the Lord? You reverence it, you obey it. So they feared the word. God says, listen, I'm sending a plague. You need to get yourself out of here and run for protection. The Bible said those who feared the Lord did that. Look at verse 21. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Did not regard what God said. Didn't care. Who is the Lord? I'm the Lord of my life. Don't tell me where to go. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live my life. You know that's in the Gospels? Bible tells us of a people who said, when, when, when Jesus told a parable, he sent his, his son to, to, to cause the, the, the people of the land to, to give over the goods. And, and, and they, said, they said, who is the Lord? We'll not have this man rule over us. And people are saying that in our culture today. And you know why the church isn't persecuted in, in this culture as much? Let me tell you, the Western world, we're getting a pass. But you know parts of China, Africa, Asia, uh, other parts of the world, they are dying for their faith. There's reports of hundreds of thousands of people being imprisoned, being killed, churches being burned because of their faith in Jesus Christ. 
But you know what? The devil is as real in Africa as he is in the U.S. He's just a little more sophisticated here. And we get duped and deceived. You know what Jesus said to the church? Be, do not fear. Be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. If this is the continuum of faithfulness, this is faithfulness, and this is the totality in the fullness of faithfulness. Jesus said, be faithful unto death. Be faithful, this is the, this is the ultimate, this is the 100% of, of faithfulness. Faithful unto death. My question to you is, how far do we go? Are we, are we even faithful to ministry? Are we even faithful to give to God? Are we even faithful to one another, to pray for one another, to serve one another. Jesus said, Jesus didn't say, oh, you're a pretty good Christian. God bless you, tap you on the head. No, he said, I want you to be faithful unto death. Unto death. You know, I got my tax statement from the church of how much I gave. Wouldn't you like to know? But I was pretty impressed with what I gave. But then I, w I read this passage of scripture and I was embarrassed. They gave it all. I might have given beyond 10%, but they gave it all. God help us. God help us in this culture. God help us. Jesus said be faithful, not just with the tithe, he said, be faithful unto death. Are you faithful to live holy? Are you faithful to live godly for Christ? The persecution this church faced was in a godless culture. I'm not sure that we're that far away from it in this culture. When the church stands up and truly stands up and says, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man, no man, no man, no man, comes unto the Father, but by Him. When the church truly stands up for the sanctity of marriage and for human sexuality, when the church truly stands up for the unborn and says enough is enough, you can't kill a baby in the womb. When the church really stands up, then you will see persecution. Until then, we'll get a pass. But we're not going to get the pleasure of God. Until then, we might get away with living a comfortable lifestyle. But we're not going to hear God say, you're faithful. You're true. You're, you're, you're pleasing to me. Jesus said, do not fear. Be faithful unto death. And I want you to be an overcomer. Jesus, you see, he calls, and I close with this, he calls for a genuine response of faith. He who has an ear, you know, Jesus isn't even asking for two ears. If you just have an ear, I want you to hear what the Spirit is saying. God is pleading. He's pleading with the church. He's pleading with Christians. He's knocking at the heart of your, at the door of your heart over and over again for you, for me, to, to be that overcomer. He says, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. You see, this morning, faith is a decision. We don't deny our fears 
but we move ahead in spite of our fear. Faith is not denying reality, but it's, it's the recognition of the presence of God in our lives. We move forward. You know that we're not to live life looking backward, but looking forward. Your car's rearview mirror is a fraction of the size of the front windshield. And there's a good reason for that. You won't want to drive, ride in a car driving, driven by someone preoccupied with looking back in the mirror than focusing forward. I want to ask you this morning, look and live looking forward this morning. Focus on what's ahead. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on. For the upward call of God, I press on to please God this morning. I don't know if you ever heard the name of Polycarp. Polycarp, we learn from history, was a bishop, a leader in, in Smyrna. He was, a, he was the, 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 the last known uh, connection to the apostles. He was a disciple of John the Apostle, the writer of Revelation. Imagine being discipled by John. Who's your daddy? Who's your spiritual father? John the Apostle. Pretty cool. But don't think it got you on the face of charisma or got you preaching evangelistic crusades in, in, in big countries with millions of people and people rolling out red carpets for you in five-star hotels. No, Polycarp, in around 150 A.D., was, was leading this church in Smyrna. And Polycarp was captured and he would, not, he would not bow down and worship the Caesars, worship the gods. And he was taken by, by a proconsul, and they tried to dis- persuade him to, to deny his faith. And they said, have respect for your old age. He was 86 years old. He says, swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, down with the, with, with the Christians. Polycarp looked grimly at the wicked heathen multitude in the stadium. They had brought him into a stadium. To, to, to kill him. And he gestured toward them and said, Down, he said, 86 years, he said this famous, this is a famous quote in church history, if you ever look it up. Polycarp said this, 86 years I have served Christ and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And so what they did was, they says, we're gonna call the wild animals in to tear you apart or we'll, Try to burn you with fire. And you know what he said? He said, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. What are you waiting for? Bring on whatever you want. Jesus said, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Back up to verse 10. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. I will give you the crown of life. Would you stand together with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus. The suffering church of Smyrna. Ephesus was the church everyone wanted to go to. Smyrna was not the church people wanted to go to. Didn't even have a Google presence. Didn't even have a website. Wasn't even on Facebook. How did they make it? But they were faithful to God. 
in this day, in this hour of human history, when there is an, uns- there's a, there's an unleashing and there's an onslaught of vileness and wickedness and evil in our culture, in our world, that has crept into the church, can we be faithful to God? Not just doing a little bit of ministry. Can you just be on the calendar once a month? Can you just give five minutes for Jesus? No, Jesus said be faithful unto death. Can we call the church? Can we be called to a higher standard today? Can we be called to a greater level of commitment? Say, Lord, I'll be faithful. I'll be true to you. Would you pray with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Would you examine your heart this morning? Examine your your life in the light of the countenance of, of Jesus in the light of the word of God today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. To him who overcomes, are there any overcomers today? How do we overcome? The Bible tells us this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Do we have to repent today? Do we have to be grieved over sin in our life, over idolatry, over a lack of commitment? Can you take a few moments right now and ask God to forgive you? Ask God to forgive us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God. Oh, God. We thank you today. God, we praise you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Lord, we thank you for your word to your people today. God, although it might be quiet, although there might be some soul searching and it might be a sobering message, God, I pray that we would have a sobering response. God, that we would have a response of surrender to the Lordship of Christ, of, of being different in this world and being more like the church of Smyrna than the church of Ephesus. God, may we honor you with our lives. May we be faithful to the cause of Jesus Christ in this church. God, from the pulpit to the pew, from side to side, from center to circumference. Father God, let there be a change in us, God, in these last days. God, may you prepare a people for the coming of Jesus Christ. God, even this series, even this teaching, it might not necessarily be popular in our culture, but it doesn't matter what our culture says, but we want to be popular with you, God. God, we want to have the the pleasure of God. We want to have the approval of God and not of man. And so, God, today I pray, Lord, that through these messages, through revelation, there would be a response of faith. There would be a repentance, a turning to you with all of our heart. Lord God, touch your people today. Father God, I pray that we would have ears to hear what you are trying to say, God. Lord, work in our hearts, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated.